You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Oh yeah, I love the glass, man. Then you can see, you know, you can see when you look down to grab your drink, your beer. Then you look at your indicator, and there's a ripple around it. You're like, well, I missed that strike. Yeah, exactly. Right How often does that happen? You <laughs> see, the the only ripple on the oh. water is the fact that you were looking away for a second. Oh, they know when you look away. It's, it happens so much. Or you put your rod down. Right. You put it in the rod hole, and then it goes down, and by the time you grab it, it comes back up, right? And you're like, okay, okay. What was it like? And this this film just dropped, I mean, a, a few weeks back, and I, it's getting a lot of downloads. And it's, uh, for me, you guys somehow described every trip that I take. And uh, that's not easy to do. I know how hard it is to film that. What, talk to me about that experience. What was it like working on that with Brent and the guys? Man, you know, that was that was a dream come true, to be honest with you. Like, that that was a massive highlight of my life. And, it, you know, because I remember it was last year, Brent, you know, I've chatted with Brent in the you know, last few years, kind of here and there. And I've been good buddies with Trevor for the last few years because um, he's a Prince George fella, too. So we've linked up quite a bit. Um, but it was all when on the Stillwater's Facebook page, um, when Ryan and Brent, they were selling the hats and stuff. So, you know, I emailed Ryan. I was like, oh, you know, I'll take some hats, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then and he emailed me back. And this was back in March here, past March, I believe. And then he was like, hey, would you be interested in doing uh, some filming with uh, with Phil Rowley? And I'm like, <laughs> absolutely. Like, that's 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 incredible opportunity. Um, yeah. So fast forward to, you know, September when we got everything finalized. And, oh, yeah, well, that's me and Trevor. You know, we came down together from PG. We hopped in my truck stuffed my truck you know there wasn't an inch of room left with all the stuff we had two boats going on and yeah we linked up with the boys and i just you know the big thing not only was it great to spend a week or i guess four or five days fishing with those guys but you know no offense to the other fellas but being a part of brent's you know filmmaking and what he does in front of the camera and not only that but fishing with phil Rowley and let alone you know hanging out with that guy for four or five days that's yeah. that's incredible man yeah. no for sure i mean he's a still water guru and it sure looked oh. like you guys had a lot of fun on that trip oh it was it was a blast you know it's it it a trip i'll never forget it's hard to top something like that it really really is we are pleased to welcome Mike Green to the podcast. He's coming up next. Stillwater specialist out of the Prince George area. Spends a lot of time on the waters of the Caribou region. I uh, just want to thank the folks for listening in the top 10 cities this week. Before we get to our message from the Fly Crate, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, along with Calgary, Alberta, were the top two cities. Next was Logan, Utah, followed by Vernon, B.C., Meridian, Mississippi, Salt Lake City, Utah, Poco, Berlin, Germany, Portland, Oregon, Essendon, UK, and Seattle, Washington. Thanks, folks, for listening. Something we're pretty excited to uh, let you folks know about is we have started a uh, quarterly magazine that is available uh, through email right now. Uh, basically, it's still water-centric, so it is focused on lakes, locks, ponds, puddles, 
Um, you know, we talk um, tying patterns. We talk about at the vice. We talk about who's coming up on the show and kind of dig a little deeper into that. We'll talk. We'll look at throat samples and matching. You know, tying to match throat samples. Uh, thoughts from the bench, kind of at the tying vice. So, uh, if that sounds interesting to you, just DM me. Uh, Instagram's probably the best place, or you can shoot me an email at uh, mark at flyfishing97.com, or you can go to our Instagram account, which is at flyfishing97podcast. Just DM me your email. I'll make sure you're you're in the link on that. But I'm kind of excited about that. It's an opportunity to kind of get some, some more still water, which I kind of think that um, lakes and whatnot maybe haven't been getting a lot of, uh, you know, it's mostly river-centric, and we're still going to talk rivers on the podcast. Uh, no worries there. But I definitely think that the, the still water um, crowd uh, could use maybe a little more print uh, edition, if that makes sense. So, so look us up, shoot me a message, and we'll get it out to you. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Stoked you're joining us tonight, and we're going to head to the northern half of British Columbia, Canada. We've got Mike Green on the show out of Prince George, British Columbia. He's a still water specialist. Um, he uses a lot of scientific angler products, is connected with those guys. A log scaler by day, trophy trout hunter by night and day. Uh, Mike, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it, man. This is great. So let's, let's, um, I always like to kind of find out how you came to discover fly fishing, where your passion for, for chasing, uh, big fish on the still water comes from. So walk us down the journey, how you came to discover it. Well, I was always, you know, fly fishing. I shouldn't say from the start, you know, you know, you're always fishing. Usually Mm -hmm. a lot of guys start fishing with their dads from a very young age. And I always remember, um, I was on the spin gear, obviously, and my dad was flying, so we would be trolling. And I remember he was always not a, not a little. It was like a little little friendly fight that he would always okay. He's got to troll faster because I got the gear going. But he, you know, internally he wants to go slower because he's dragging flies. And I would always notice that he's always catching more fish. And just over the years. I guess when I first really started fly fishing, it was back in, I think it was, remember it was a show and tell in 2001, <laughs> and I showcased a fly rod setup that I actually found out of out of a caribou lake we were at, and believe it or not, we were fly fishing, just dragging flies, and my fly, I got a snag, so I'm like, okay, what the hell is this? So, I'm, you know, I'm reeling in, I'm, I'm like under 10 or something here, and I'm reeling in. And it was super heavy. And by the time I pull it in, I see my fly. I'm like, what the hell is that on the end of my line? So 
connected to my fly is another fly hook to hook. So <laughs> I look at my dad and like, what, what's going on here? So I pull it in, believe it or not, a whole setup comes with it. There's absolute mound of weeds stuck to the reel. And it was a Sage SP. I think it was a Sage SP nine foot five weight with a Orvis bad and kill reel on it. Wow. With a clear intermediate. Could you believe that? No. Just dragging along and boom. And so ever since then, I just kind of realized, it's like, oh, man, like this is my new unit. I, you know, work this. And I, I guess that's kind of what started it. Somebody's trying to tell you something if you're hooking a sage, if you're hooking a sage rod on one of your first outings. That's uh, that's good I, I karma, know, man. I know what I'm, and I'm, and I'm thinking, I hope the guy who, who's broad that is, you know, is not listening. If you are, sorry, bud. So if you lost a sage rod in 2000 and when, when, <laughs> I, I think it was the year 2000 or something like that. We, we won't name the lake, so we'll never know. There's a lot of sage rods at the bottom of lakes, any type of, I mean, I know I've lost a few myself, but um, that's a great story, man. So if you had to kind of look back on your uh, your learning curve, so how you discovered fly fishing, but then kind of where did you take it next? Who did you learn from if you had to cite some influences? Um. So again, you know, learning from the old man, and he was always a, uh... He was, you know, he's an old school fly fisher. You know, he would do a little trolling because, you know, he's with us, the kids and stuff. And then he was all, I remember another time saying this exact same lake because we went to this particular lake tons of times over the years. And there would always be such a massive evening dry fly hatch. And I, you know, I didn't know what the hell was hatching at the time back then, but it would just, it would, it would be incredible to watch, you know, my dad and everybody, they'd be casting. And it's like, summertime nine o'clock when it you know the sun's starting to go down and the lake's alive hmm. and these fish would be sipping and this is a wild fish lake too eh? and these fish are sipping these flies and i just thought that was so cool um but when i really started to really dial it in i think it was probably wasn't that long ago maybe six years ago or something uh, an awfully popular lake in the area. one of the lakes we were actually on when we we're on our trip there during still is I would see these these guys and they were fishing. I, I'd always look at them. I was like, what, what's that little orange thing? You know, they're fishing with indicators, I guess. And, and, you know, you can just see these lunkers slapping. They'd be boom, boom, boom. And this lake would skunk me constantly, constantly. So, and I finally figured out these guys are chronic fishing. I was like, I got to dial this in. I can't keep, you know, getting skunked at this lake. And, you know, I just started trying to hone my skills, kind of just tons of research, and you know, days on the water—that's the most important thing. So, what I'd like to do is is take a minute to kind of get to know you and you know your neck of the woods. You ready for some some questions about your kind of day to day? Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's talk music. When you're driving your favorite Stillwater, um, what's playing on the stereo? Well, depends on who I'm driving there with. If I'm, say, I'm going solo, or I guess I should say most of the time when I'm driving there, it's typically hard rock or metal. You know, I'm a big, you know, the Metallica guy, Pantera, the good old stuff like that. But yeah, um, my favorite band, you know, it's the Venge Sevenfold. Um, they're just, that's just what I love. But for the most part, it's hard rock, metal, and sometimes whatever, 
you know, Sarah, my girlfriend, wants to put on. <laughs> Any, uh, I'll listen to anything on the way to, to the lake. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the mood. <laughs> One go-to fly pattern that you can't live without. So, if you're opening up that fly box on the perfect day, what are you reaching for? One hundred percent fills. Canadian black and orange bounce leech, one hundred percent. Really, black and uh, black and oh, orange. Yeah. So, is, what what is that? What color bead does that have? It's got the the orange tungsten tungsten uh, bead for the balance leech there, and just that kind of Canadian black. I think it's a bruise or something. It's got the black. Yeah. I guess it's like a peacock dubbed body. Yeah. Quite simple pattern, but man, I I take that. That's using my first pattern. I throw on. I swear by that balance leech. Hmm. And every lake I go to, it seems to just produce. Even at the pickiest lakes, I got so much confidence in that thing, man. Just something about that orange bead head, it just gets fish heads turning. Well, that, that reminds me also, of like the vampire leech, when that first came out, you know, with that chartreuse. It just really stands out oh, uh, yeah. to the rest of the body. What, um, what I've you... never used that, that vampire much, to be honest with you. I've picked away at it, but I always sneak back to the orange bee head. Yeah, well, you got to go with what works. What, what do you think they're taking that as? Do you think they're taking that as a leech or a bait fish? What What's your gut tell you? Oh, man, I don't know. Because, you know, so, something even works when you're sitting static and you're not even moving the damn thing. Mm-hmm. I think just that orange head just kind of turns their, you know, turns their heads and a couple twitches here and there. I think it pisses them off, to be honest with you. Yeah. Are you are I mean, you are you fishing mostly for panasks or are you fishing Frasers? What in the waters that you're fishing? What's the species you're normally targeting? I'd probably say the panask. I mean, I don't fish a ton up in PG. Um, it's not quite managed to where as the caribou is for trophy fish. So, and uh, there's very few Fraser Valley lakes up this way anyway. Um, but no, it's, it's, I'd say it's Panask and Blackwaters. I'm a huge fan of Blackwaters, though. Oh, you know, yeah. Panask, I know, like the, you know, everybody loves them. It's kind of like the, the prized trout around here. But I'm personally a fan of the Blackwaters. They get big and, you know, they're mean. Yeah. And they just, they pull hard, man. Oh, they do. They'll they'll take you into your back and in a hurry. Not a lot of aerial uh, maneuvering, but they definitely take you on some wild rides. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. What's your favorite place, Mike, to talk fly fishing? So if, if you're not, you know, in your, in your lows or whatever, you're fishing out of, um, flat bottom boat and you're in the coffee shop or you're in the fly shop, is there a place you go to get your fix when you're not on the water? Well, I wish I could say that in, you know, in town here, but we don't have, I guess, much for anything for a, a fly shop. I mean, kind of the way it's been going you know, these last couple of years, like social media, it's, it's all social media. Like I'm, you know, we're, I'm talking with buddies, group chats, you know, messaging. And even with this COVID thing going on, you, you're kind of just restricted to social media chatting with all your buddy. Yeah. And I think it's great, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's not uh, the same, you know, you'd always love to, you know, sit around have a beer with your buddies and whatnot. But I mean, it's yeah. kind of the easiest. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get back to that soon. I'm going to, I hope so. I'm going to ask yeah. you about sports now, and I um, I laugh because when, when you and I set this up, the caveat was you can't do it when the Canucks are playing. So I, ha- I actually, just so you know, I took out the Canucks hockey schedule, 
And we picked tonight because, uh, well, they got their butts kicked last night, I think, in Montreal. But um, they got the night off tonight, so that means we can chat. So let's talk sports. Who do you follow? Uh, Canucks, Lions, Seahawks, uh, throw it out there. I'm 100% hockey. I've always been a hockey guy ever since I was a kid playing hockey, organized sports. And it's always been the Canucks. Again, bringing it back to, you know, with my dad, the big Canucks fan. So we would always, it would it'd be our thing. We'd watch the Canucks game together. And the love just, it, it it just grew from there with the Canucks. Like I'm, I'm staring at right now in this room. I got two posters of Marcus Nazza from the Canucks on my wall. I got a plaque picture. I got a couple flags hanging. I'm diehard Canucks, man. Who's Win your, or lose. Favorite, I, I got to go. Favorite Canuck of all time? Hands down, Marcus Naslin. Wow, interesting. Yeah, he's a good egg for sure. Character guy. Yeah. It's funny you'd say it's funny because I was just at my parents' place. Um, was it, it was a couple months ago, and they were kind of rooting through the old, you know, every kid's got their little box or whatever of their keepsakes of, you know, the stuff they did when they were young, and you laugh about it. And it was one thing I pulled out. I think it was in elementary school, and it was a little report. And it's like, who is your hero? Everybody says, oh, their hero is you know, your mom or your dad or this and this and this. And when I, here I am under 10 or whatever. And my whole little report, I wrote, my hero is Marcus Naslin because I want to play in the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Fill in the blank for me, Mike. When I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Thinking about fly fishing. <laughs> do you, yeah. I <laughs> nah, just hang, hanging out at home, you know? <laughs> you do a lot of fly tying? Um, I do, yes. I've been a little lazy this year, to be honest, but I did just pick up a new peak vice, so I'm excited to get that ripping up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always slack. I'm always kind of lazy during the winter, but when the time crunch comes in around, you know, February and stuff, then I kind of think, oh, I better get going. Yeah. And, you know, they start to it out. Yeah, I hear you on that. You get more motivated the closer it gets to water opening up, for sure. Yeah, yeah. What's the biggest lesson that you've learned in fly fishing? So if you had to look at your journey, well, like what does fly fishing bring into your world? Wow, well, man, fly fishing, it's a passion for me. And it, you know, it always has been. And that's what every family and everybody always talks about. Like, oh, Mike, fishing, 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 fishing. But probably, you know, just to slow things down and just, just be patient. I'm bad for rushing you know, when I get to the lake, I got to rush, rush. I don't want to, you know, unload the boat. Got to go, go, go get like nothing matters. Just get on the water. Yeah. But you know, when you're on the boat, you just got to chill or just relax, take it all in. You know, you're not at work. You're not, you know, there's no stress going on. You know, nothing matters, but you're just hanging out with people you love and your friends and your family, whoever you're fishing with, or even by yourself, you know, you take it all in. Um, it's just being outdoors in the fresh air. It's just, it's just a chill time. It's just stress relief, I think, really. And be patient, you know? Yeah. No, I hear you. That's uh, that's really well put. I, it I, definitely... I don't know. What's that? I say it's, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if you know, it's hard to put into words, but, you know, every fly fisher or diehard fisher, they know, they know what I'm talking about, right? It's just, it's, you put it all into perspective kind of thing, right? Yeah. No, for sure. And, and for me, it's like an escape. You know, like if you're, 
whether you had a, a, a busy day at work and you just kind of need to shut the mind down or there's stuff going on at home, I just find it's always, um, it's, it's a welcome release. It really is, man. It really is. It's just the beauty of nature, right? What's the best job you've ever had? Yeah. Are you doing it now? Um, is it something you've done in the past? And I don't want to. Mm, best, best job I've ever had. I mean, I, I used to, I was an iron worker years back i you know seven or eight years ago i would probably say it wasn't the easiest job but it's probably the best job i was working with a you know one of my best buddies ryan marshall and his old man was the owner of the company and it was just you know rebar work and just you know good old-fashioned hard work but mm -hmm. it was just a good job because you know i had you know good good co-workers and good buddies on the team um but you know i think i don't think any job would beat fishing to be honest with you that's that would be the best job <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> So do hey. you, do you get a lot of free time from your job now to chase fins? I, I mean, how does that look? Because just judging by the stuff I see you posting on Instagram, and and uh, I know your involvement with uh, the movie Still, which we'll talk to in a little bit. But um, yeah. do you find enough time to get out there, or are you finding that balance? I think I do. You know, I I could be a little greedy and say there's never enough time, but I'm a Monday to Friday guy, so. You know, the second ice comes off, I'm, you know, more often than not, I'm trying for, you know, Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, I'm always, we're always driving to the caribou. So yeah. we're, you know, two hour drive day trip. I'm doing it back to back wow. to these lakes. Oh yeah. Cause this is where these big fish are and that's what we're after. And I mean, I, I, I remember was it was not this past season, but the year before, I guess it would be season of 2019 i tracked every day and i think i i might have hit was it damn near 70 days on the water wow. and i didn't think that's not too bad for just having your weekends and we i guess we have a we we have a two-week trip we like me and sarah we like to go on in the springtime for the coronavirus but i mean it's any any opportunity i get i'm thinking fishing fishing and if i don't go fishing I'm sitting there thinking, shit, I, why, why, I could have went fishing today. <laughs> well, right. I'll, I'll tell you what, if, if you can hit 70 days and you're doing a Monday to Friday and you're you're probably looking at three or four weeks holiday a year and you're in Prince George, which has, you know, the ice-free season is is not as long as, as it is further south and, and definitely yeah. further south is getting to the States. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah, I think I, I I mean, I'm not satisfied, but I mean it's still satisfying, if you know what I mean. There's never enough days on the water. Yeah, no for sure. Yeah. So, let's um let's get into this. So, um I know you recently were involved with uh well, this past season uh with uh, Brent Gill and the guys at Wait For It Films, the uh, the movie still Phil Rowley, Ryan Ermit, uh Trevor Tatarchuk and yourself. Um, what yep. was what was it like? And this this film just dropped. I mean, a, a few weeks back, and I, it's getting a lot of downloads. And it's uh, for me, you guys somehow described every trip that I take, and uh, that's not easy to do. I know how hard it is to film that. What well, talk to me about that experience? What was it like working on that with Brent and the guys? Man, you know that was that was a dream come true. To be honest with you, like that. That was a massive highlight of my life. And, you know, because I remember it was last year, Brent, you know, I chatted with Brent in the you know, last few years, kind of here and there. 
and I've been good buddies with Trevor for the last few years because um, he's a Prince George fella too. So we've linked up quite a bit. Um, but it was all when on the Stillwater's Facebook page, um, when Ryan and Brent, they were selling the hats and stuff. So, you know, I emailed Ryan. I was like, oh, you know, I'll take some hats, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, then he emailed me back. And this was back in March here, past March, I believe. And then he was like, hey, would you be interested in doing uh, some filming with uh, with Phil Rowley? And I'm like, <laughs> like, absolutely. Like, that's 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 incredible opportunity. Um, yeah. So fast forward to, you know, September when we got everything finalized. And, oh, yeah, well, that's me and Trevor. You know, we came down together from PG. We hopped in my truck, stuffed my truck. You know, there wasn't an inch of room left with all the stuff we had, two boats going on. And. Yeah, we linked up with the boys, and I just, you know, the big thing, not only was it great to spend a week or, I guess, four or five days fishing with those guys, but, you know, no offense to the other fellas, but being a part of Brent's, you know, filmmaking and what he does in front of the camera, and not only that, but fishing with Phil Rowley and let alone, you know, hanging out with that guy for four or five days, that's yeah. that's incredible, man. No, for sure. I mean, he's a still water guru and it sure looked oh. like you guys had a lot of fun on that trip. Oh, it was, it was a blast. You know, it's, it it's a trip I'll never forget. It's hard to top something like that. It really, really is. Well, you guys were throwing what names in a hat apparently because there's so many waters you wanted to hit. There wasn't enough days in the week. Yeah. I think we picked maybe five or six lakes because, because me and Trevor, the caribou guys and, Brent, he's 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 picked away the caribou quite a bit himself too, so you know I kind of threw some suggestions. Trevor did, and we kind of said, okay, well we got maybe five or six lakes because we're looking for some big fish too. We want to have a chance at you know a double digit, so we had all these lakes and okay, so you know five or six lakes, throw it in a hat because we couldn't decide on what the hell to start with, and so yeah, and then Phil picked one, and the rest is history. We just kind of after that we kind of just won. It says okay, let's try this, and all depending on weather too. But thankfully, that whole week was just gorgeous for us. It looked like it might have rained a little bit ahead of time, though, because I noticed you guys going through some pretty deep mud puddles. That's the lake we went to on the final day, and um, we were trying to time that for the the least wind, the, the best weather day, because it's such a beautiful lake for sight fishing. And it's funny, that lake is uh, it's it's pretty rough to get into, and hmm. that's when it's dry. When it's wet, it is absolutely hell. Like I, oh, <laughs> we, we lucked out on the weather for sure. I'm gonna put you on the spot, man. Who caught the most fish? Oh man, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you I don't, you I don't, know, know. I, you don't want to say. I don't. I don't know, man. <laughs> Who caught the biggest I, I fish? Know, I, I did. I did all right. I should say. You know, I, I caught some fish. Who caught the biggest fish? Well, I didn't see Trevor's fish from one of the lakes we were at. He he apparently he nailed a really good one on one of his uh, his dragonfly patterns he ties there. Him and Brent they were they were figuring seven eight pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, then I got one and I weighed it too. It was from the that lake there. It was the final day and it came in just a bunch over seven pounds there in the net after everything was taken off. So I mean, either way, we, we had a lot of fish four plus and. You know, I didn't get the double digits, but hey, that's 
you know, that's fishing. We got some quality fish, though. Who had the best jokes on that trip? Who's the funniest? Oh, it's Phil. I got to tell you. <laughs> I'm not that guy. is funny. Holy. He, he's just got so much. He can he, he can raz you so hard, too, and it's just it's so much laughs, man. He's got some great quotes, too. He really does, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Ryan, yeah, was... Ryan was throwing a few of them out there when we chatted. <laughs> and it's funny. I was talking to Trevor today. I'm actually getting your good buddy on the show here too pretty quick we're going to talk about what he's up to but yeah it's um i i definitely uh i I think i think you guys have something exciting going on and uh just some of the some of the fish that you've been chasing i mean judging by what i'm seeing you're you're doing something right so talk to me about fishing the you know the lakes the still waters that you spend your time on mike like what kind of percentage are you fishing chironomids and, and, you know, like, is that a, a most of the year thing for you? Or then you move into caddis and dragons, like walk us through your kind of typical, you know, the fisheries you're hitting. Well, you know, it always it all depends on the time of year. Um, ice off, you know, we're, you know, running your leeches and your, your meat and potatoes, your dragons. But the second you you know, you start seeing those chironies start hatching, it's, it's full force. I, I'm guilty of it. You know, I'll fish chronomids when there's not a bug hatching. And I've had, <laughs> you know, and then I like to think, man, I'm bad. I don't, I switched up. But Sarah, their girlfriend, she's even worse. I think she, I think she enjoys chronomid fishing more than I do. It's, it's, it's just so exciting. You know, whether you're watching your indicator go down or you're fishing a naked presentation, uh, just when you start to get on the water and you see those bugs hatching, it's like, oh man, it's going to be a good day. Mm. Uh, one thing I should say though, is I really would like to, you know, hone more into the dry fly side of things. I can't say I've hit a, you know, very good sedge or cast hatch. I've, I, you know, they've been around, yeah, but you know, they're, they're tough. I've, I've had some, I've tried it. I've, you know, I've caught the odd one, but I've never had a, you know, I've never nailed it. Like, you know, the stories, some guys, you know, get, but I guess it's really hard to hit that, you know, couple week window or whatever, when they do start hatching. You got to come further South here, man. There's a few lakes we hit that in, uh, you know, as soon as July, you get those warm summer nights, the lily pads are up and it's, it's nuts. You could, you could throw a sandal out there and you'd get a hit. No way, man. It's crazy. And they're big, those big, big caddis and the big fish come out. And as it gets dark, I, that's, um, Oh yeah. Sure. That nice, a hot day that yeah no there's nothing like a nice dry flight take but i mean i'm guilty of you know being addicted to chronomids it's, it's hard not to yeah no 100 i got a theory on that and i want to run it by you i you know yeah. think of when you're a little guy and maybe you're um throwing a worm and a bobber out there and you just you know it's all about watching that watching that red and white <laughs> bobber or whatever that float is you're using i think there's something kind of it takes you back to your youth when you watch that indicator go down. Some people don't like it, but I'll tell you, it's just, it, it, it's pretty chill. It's chill, but it's exciting. You know what I mean? I think that's what it is too. It's the old bobber and worm. Cause when I, where I grew up in Prince George, just a little, you know, North of where I live now in Salmon Valley, we lived right, right across from the river, Salmon river. And I would always, when I was younger, walk across the road, hit the river up, you know, with my spin rod and, I'd huck an old dew worm on there out of the compost and throw the bobber and I'd float it down the river and yeah, you'd watch it boom, go down. And yeah. same as on the lake, you'd, you'd chuck the old worm out. You just, you know, dad would take you back to the compost. He'd start scooping some worms up, 
<laughs> and you right and i think that's too because it's so exciting when you you see that indicator kind of even even twitch you kind of just oh you kind of tunnel vision you dial in right oh yeah yeah no it's cool yeah i i was talking to your your good your good pal ryan uh ermit and he was he we were talking about deep dangling have you got into dangling yet is that something you're uh wetting your uh, feet into Funny, Ryan. He, he, yeah, he, he likes dangling that that line. He kept talking about it lots when we were out fishing. But um, I, you know, I've done it a couple times. I've had, I think, I've only had one successful day on it on this one lake. It was a few years back, and I think it was just after the May long weekend. And yeah, you know, thirty foot dangling chronomids. You're watching them on the sound underneath you, mm. and we were smoking out nice panas. Um, but I haven't done it a ton. Last year, for the first time, I know it was always, always a thing I wanted to try. You ever hear up on Sheridan Lake, the guys dangling 70-foot yeah. chronomids? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, so we tried that for the first time, me and Sarah, last um, beginning of June, I believe it was. And, it, you know, I only got a little five-horse motor on my, you know, low, low 1240, and Sheridan's a big lake. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, man, we got to pick a good day for weather. And it couldn't have been better. The lake was glass the whole day. It was like 24 to 5 degrees out. Hmm. Uh, and my buddy Doug, Doug Elliott, he's a good friend of mine, and he he's pretty experienced on that that lake too, fishing the chronomids. He was telling me, Kate, do this chronomid. I'm like, Kate, this step over here. He, he's basically like, Kate, at the boat launch, go straight. You'll see an island and just follow the boats. I'm like, okay, yeah, it seems easy enough. So we go out there. Oh, there's like, you know, 40, 50 boats all anchored around the island. I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's the spot. And, you know, not much going on. And dangling a small size, you know, even a 16 2X chronomid, seven feet down, <laughs> you know, that that's a little odd. I, you know, that's, I'm not used to that. I'm like, okay, you know, yeah. and I was, we're seeing the fish go by on, on my fishing buddy. I was like, oh man, they're down there and you got little bugs popping. But, you know, I'll tell you the truth, that was a whole day we got skunked, man. It was tough as shit. We just, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Try different spots, different chronomids. And the worst part is when I'm watching these fish go by constantly under the boat at multiple depths. Like it, it kicked our butts, man. Hmm. So we'll have to go back for that one. I got a funny feeling some of the waters, and, and I know that some of the waters that Ryan's fishing out there in Alberta, uh, especially in the Rockies, you know, you got that glacial kind of fed, just clear, clean water. I think a lot of the lakes that you and I are fishing are probably a little more tea-colored. <laughs> yeah. Dangling, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, It's just my theory. It could be wrong, but it may not be as effective in, in, unless you've got something that really stands out, maybe with a white bead or something. But um, Yeah, it's hard to say, like, you know, how deep you're going or because I, you know, I've done okay fishing small crawlings in 30 feet of water in a kind of a tea colored lake. Yeah. Like the, they can see it all, you know, they can see it. What, um, so, so talk to me about that. So you're fishing a tea colored lake, 30 feet of water. Is this, what kind of color chronometer are you using that, that far down? Is it fairly dark colors or what are you using? Um, the tea colored lakes, I'm typically, you know, I'm a big believer in those white bead heads. For those kind of darker lakes, I just feel like they stick out a bit more. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the fish can't see a you know dark head down there. Obviously they can, but I normally aim towards the uh, the white heads. But I I don't know what your theory on this is, Mark. But depending on the color of the lake, I've found 
the clear color, you know, of the lakes, if it's super clear, you can see way down. I'm always seeing coronavids hatch way deeper, deeper 20, 30 feet of water. But in the darker yeah. kind of tan lakes, you know, even when the water temp's high, you got like 15, 20 foot coronavids hatching. I just feel like yeah. I, don't... I, don't, I don't go too deep on these darker lakes. It seems to be around that 15 foot mark. Well, I think I think the fish feel safer too, you know, from aerial predators like ospreys and loons and uh, whatever's coming at them. And that that is actually one thing that I never talk about on the show. But I think fishing midge chronomid patterns. The reason it's so effective is the fish are comfortable. They're not. It's not like they're coming up to get something. They're in like fifteen, twenty, thirty feet of water, so they're like they're in their comfort zone. They're not feeling threatened. And I think oh, absolutely. there's no predators except for us fly fishermen, man. Exactly. And you get on those real clear lakes and I think, you know, they get a little more spooky. They get, <laughs> you need to have that floral and maybe finer tippet and, you know, longer yeah. leaders. And I don't know, that's just my theory, but what do I know? But No, it's a good theory because it's true. Well, and I, I don't know about you, but I, sometimes those tea colored lakes, you, you only need to be down four feet, you, you know, like, yeah. um, and then especially if you're fishing chromies as they're kind of uh, got that silver sheen as they're emerging yeah. through the through the water column. And you can usually go pretty shallow with, with those uh, silver patterns. Yeah, man, because I, you know, as nice as it is to be on those super clear, clean lakes, I prefer being on the kind of maybe darker water or, you know, not murky water, but just, you know, it's got a darker bottom because, you know, the fish, they're not super spooky, right? Like, I've had chronomid days where I, I toss my, my bobber three feet from the edge of my boat, and fish are smoking that chronomid. Like, they're... <laughs> that, that reminds me of life, right? Ro- Roche Lakes like that. <laughs> you, you, could, you could have it on the tip of your rod, and you'll get a hit. In fact, oh, I had yeah. that happen. Uh, That's crazy, hey? You release a fish, and, and it's just sitting there, and it's like, boom, it goes down, and you're like, what is... <laughs> you almost got to take your line out of the water if you want to have lunch or just like do anything. You just because yeah. they're they're under your boat, just giving her. But then I've I've experienced the other side of that coin too, Mike. Is where you're fishing, you know, some trophy clear blue aqua blue waters, and it's like I I sometimes I feel like I don't have a chance in those waters. It's just like they see everything, and it's um you know especially if it's calm, it's you got to be very stealthy. Yeah, you got to run those drop zones, I think, because, yeah, I've been on lakes like that where it's glass calm and you can see everything. And I'm just putting around my electric motor. I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't see a fish, like, anywhere within, like, a 200-foot radius, you know, because they're just, I get they're spooked. You got to find that drop or something. I don't know. It's well, tough, man. And how many times you've been out there on a lake like that where you don't print a fish all day, and you know, unless maybe you got the side finder on, but if you're looking down, you're not seeing anything, but it doesn't mean they're not there. Yeah. You know? No, nothing. And when you do see one, you're like, okay. And then he just bolts away. Like he sees you and he's gone. Eh? Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's a cruiser. We're chatting. Yeah. We're chatting today with Mike Green out of Prince George, British Columbia, Canada, still water specialist with uh, scientific anglers. Uh, he's a log scaler uh, in the PG area. And uh, he just, uh, he was involved in this film uh, still uh, check it out on YouTube. Uh, Brent Gill and wait for it films uh, along with Phil Rowley. Uh, Ryan Ermit, Trevor Tatarchuk, and and Mike Green. Um, Mike, if if you could walk us through your dream day, so you're having. I, I suspect it's in the Caribou region, but if if you're heading out tomorrow, paint me a picture. 
what kind of water are you fishing? What kind of flies are you fishing? What are you drinking? What? Paint me a picture. Oh man, dream day. Hmm. Any day fishing is a dream, but if I had to, it's hard to say, man. There's so many good options. It, you know, when I think of, you know, when you get off the water and you think, man, that was a good day. You're just happy. It was a great day. It's, you know, it's got to be on a lake in the caribou. You know, I I know a lot of guys are, they like that little crony chop on the water. You know, I'm a big fan of glass calm. I've never seemed to have an issue crony fishing on glass waters. Oh, yeah. It's sunny. You know, you know, mid twenties. I don't like it too hot. You know, bugs are hatching. You know, fish are biting. Um, dream day on the water. It's it's me sitting there, you know, with my old man on a, just a heavy crown midday, sharing a beer. You know, having a good day. Is that a caribou beer? What is it? Hundred percent caribou lake. Yeah. <laughs> no, is is that a caribou beer? Oh, caribou beer. No, actually, I'm uh, I'm a big fan of the Coors uh, Banquets, or I guess the original. <laughs> that's that's old school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. Um, yeah. So I, I agree with you on that, too, because everyone always talks about this coronamid chop or this leech chop where you have a little bit of a riffle on the water and the, and the fish are less spooky. But I also find that it's hard to follow that indicator or, or even if you're fishing you know naked line it's hard to follow it uh when you get that chop and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm with you give me some glass oh yeah i love the glass man then you can see you know you can see when you look down to grab your drink your beer then you look at your indicator and there's a ripple around it you're like well i missed that strike yeah exactly right how often does that happen you <laughs> see the the only ripple on oh. the water is the fact that you were looking away for a second <laughs> oh they know when you look away it's, it happens so much or you put your rod down. Right. You put it in the rod hole and then it goes down. And by the time you grab it, it comes back up, right? And you're like, okay, okay. What are you fishing out of? What's your Talk to me about your setup. That's well, just the, the low 1240 there. We got uh, a couple of nice high-rise seats mounted the back for myself. Sarah's in the middle. I got the nice carpet plywood floors I did up. Um, I actually... A few years back, I went over to Trevor's place because I seen how he did his, but I had to pop over and he was showing me how he did his because he's got the 1236. So it's quite similar. And so I got some ideas off him. Okay. Yeah. Took me a couple of times to do the front side because it's got the boat's got an odd curve to it. Um, You know, I got my, I like the five horse motor. I got there a little four stroke. Yeah. Um, and I use the electric motor when I'm on, um, lakes, I don't allow gas motors, Sure. but I think the five is nice. It's just small enough. You know, it's not puking fuel and you know, yeah. it's not, not, not too bad. Fish finder, obviously 100%. I cannot go without a fish finder. I, I did, did it one day where I think the batteries were dead and I was solo and I just felt blind. It was just, it just felt weird. I had a good day still, but I mean, just something wasn't right, you know? Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. I hear you on the motor, too, because I got a 9.9, and it's heavy, man. Like, it's like, I wish it would. You don't need it. I mean, if you're fishing a really big body of water, fine, but most of the lakes you're on, I yeah. mean, the 5 is fine. Oh, it, it's perfect. I mean, it, it plows a bit, but, I mean, you know, whatever. A couple extra minutes to the end of the, end of the lake. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what kind of rods, uh, you know, uh, talk to me about brands, length, weight. Um, what do you what do you like to fish personally? Well, uh, I, hold uh, on. Other than that sage that you hooked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, funny. Okay, about let's let's go back to that sage story. So, my my dad, my dad owns the sage now, because I think it was a was it the same trip or the year after trip, I was a uh, funny story. I was fishing out of a small those you know those little I don't know Walmart dinghies or whatever, eh? Yep. And I was just rolling around as a little kid, and I had my spin rod, and I was dragging a little flatfish, and I remember it clearly too. And I caught a fish, okay, I got him next to the boat, and for whatever reason, the fish at this lake, they always seem to go belly up after you fight them, and you always had to tap them on the gut, and they would swim away. I'm like, okay. And the wind's, like, the wind's really blowing here, and so I went to bend over on the dinghy, and so that, I went, because I went to go tap the fish, and here comes the wind, just picks me up, swoops the whole dinghy over. And I remember I was, and I, I went in the water, man. I was overboard. I mean, thankfully I had my life jacket on. Um, but I was using one of my dad's old school rods. It was really heavy, you know, yellow rods. I don't even know what the hell it was made out of, but it's like a I fiber, mean, fiberglass Ted pack or something. I think I had one. Oh, like... yeah. One of those, they're just, I mean, the reel just had a lot of weight to it. Old spin rod and it sunk to the bottom. I mean, so after that, I mean, I felt, I felt terrible. I was like, oh man, I lost your rod. You know, that, that. he's like, oh no, it's okay. And I says here, like, you know what? Just let's split this fly rod I found. Cause I was like, you fly fish more than I do. You're going to get more use out of it. Anyway, I just ended up saying, you know what, dad, you go ahead, you take this. It's yours. So he still has it. He still got the rod and he loves it. He still uses it. Um, so me, what, what I use I mean, honestly, Mark, I'm kind of cheap when it comes to rods because I'm kind of hard on shit. Yeah, I've broken a lot of rods, um, so I don't spend too much on the rod itself. Yeah. I, I actually, I've had great luck with the dragonfly rods. Yeah, I sure. used to. Run. They're a cheaper rod, but I mean, they 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 do well. Mm-hmm. You know, for the price you pay. I think I got so right now. I just got a nine foot six um, dragonfly. I think it's the Quest, I believe. Yeah. Super cool rod. Um, Reels, though, I do, you know, I'll go a little buck here on my reels. I appreciate a nice reel. Um, I have my Ross Evolution in a five-way. That was my favorite reel. And I just recently, a couple years back, bought the Lamson Guru. Yeah. And, man, it's an absolute beautiful reel. I love it. And, obviously, paired with my favorite scientific angler's line, man. Yeah, well, which is? What, what do you like to fish with uh, the SA stuff? I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Titan. You know, the weight oh, yeah. forward six. Yeah, I got one. Yeah. I love it. Oh, they're so cool. They're 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 effortless. Tight and long, that is. Yep. Excellent line. Mm. It turns over real well, doesn't it? It really does, man. It really does. And I, uh, I've i always been just a, you know, a pretty simple guy on the water. I ran my dry line for my cronies or just kind of naked in, uh, imitations. And I would use a uh, type six, you know, sink line. But. Recently, last year, I was like, I gotta, I gotta get more, you know, get more shit. So I'm using the uh, clear camo essay now, intermediate. Yeah, How and you, boy, that, you like that? Oh, oh, it's beautiful. It, it casts just effortlessly too, and it's not a fast sink, which I like. It's very subtle, but I, you know, you can comfortably fish like, you know, two, three, four feet of water, you know, casting into the weeds, yeah. you know, in fall time, and the fish are really shallow, and so that. Actually, on my past trip during still, that was a really good line for myself. I was like, man, this one's awesome, too. What were you fishing on that? Dragons or leeches? Yeah. 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 Some nice uh, sealed dub dragonflies. 
yeah. some just dirty green and browns. Do you tie those up yourself? I do. Yeah. They're kind of a pain in the ass. Cause I, so I haven't tied much lately, but I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I got that inspiration, that tie from my good buddy, Doug, he ties some excellent dragons. He's a big, big believer in them. And you know, after he was telling me and showing me pics of fish he caught, he, he kind of got me on the dragon hook. So I've been using them quite a bit lately too. I think too, if you're fishing a lot of black water, rainbow trout lakes that, um, dragons are, I mean, let's face it, fish in general love a big meal if they can get it but specifically those black waters they're meat eaters you get that too eh that's funny because oh yeah if i'm going on a big you know big blackwater lake that's the first thing that pops in my mind and the first thing i rig up i'm like i'm going dragons you know stripping 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 yeah no 100 percent. yeah man i i and there's a lot of blackwater lakes now in the areas that i fish which is kind of the uh you know thompson Okanagan, uh, Kamloops area, but, um, yeah, they seem to be on the rise and they've got that new, what's that other strain they've got now? It's, it's, it's like a black water. It's very aggressive, but it jumps. Um, horsefly. yeah. Horsefly. Um, okay. that's funny. interesting fish. It is. Um, one, actually one of my favorite lakes, um, just around Williams Lake there, they stock, it used to be such a big, a great producer of panas, like, you know, large fish, like seven, eight pound plus panas. And I guess they were, the bios were trying to do a study or something on these horse flies, you know, to see their growth rate. And they had such uh, great growth rates in their natural state in the Quinell lakes and the rivers and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they started putting these two in diploid horse flies in this lake. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay, I'll see. You know, unfortunately, they didn't reach the sizes that they were claiming to reach. But, man, they are a hoot. Like, if I was to, you know, compare one strain to as close as, you know, your nice good old wild fish, yeah. those horse flies, they're horses, man. Like, you get a two-pounder, they'll peel you into your backing. They're, like, they're jumping, and they're relentless. Yeah, that was, like, th- I agree. They're, they're great. That was my experience too. I will say this though. I, if you give me two lakes with five pound fish in each and one's Panasque and one's anything other, I'll go to the Panasque every time because I just, it's like, they're like clean coho. They're just out of the water seven, eight times. And, and I think I, yeah, it's hard to argue a Panasque man. Like, yeah, yeah they're just, they're aerial. They're crazy. But you know and what? They they don't have any drunk. spots. They're not as pretty, maybe as 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 some of them. But uh, I don't know. I just it's I find it a fascinating conversation. And depending on where you are in the world, listening to the show, uh, you may not have a sniff what we're talking about. But there's a lake, uh, Penasque Lake, which has never been stocked ever, uh, and it's in uh, it's in Region Eight in uh, in British Columbia. And basically, these fish are like you say, Mike. They're they're wild stock. So, um, yeah. And, and then of course they've got the triploids and, and whatnot, but, uh, they grow big and they're insect feeders, right? I mean, they, they are not, they, they don't chow on bait fish. No, no, not like a black water. Like when you think panas, you're like chronomids, you know, damsels, mayflies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, it, well, and that's what lends itself so well to fly fishing, right? So most of us are imitating insects. Uh, most of the time, and uh, that's what that's what panas eat. So, um, but those, those... My... go ahead. 
I was gonna say, mind you, I've had some pretty damn good days cronomid fishing on black waters. Like they'll yeah. eat that up too. Hundred percent. Like no. Yeah, no, for sure. But it's uh, yeah, and same with brookies too. I don't know about you, but man, lately, uh, last few years, I've really, uh, really had some good success with with cronomid patterns on, on brook trout. Yeah, I mean, we got a couple lakes around PG that got some, you know, pretty good brookies. I don't target them enough because one of the lakes, it's a short hiking, so mm. you know, packing all my stuff, boat and floorboards, that's a pain in the ass. But we have done it once. And, uh, man, you know, up to five pounds and man, they're fun fish. Like they're, they're sweet. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Mike, if, if there's something you could change about the pastime that you love so much, is there anything that kind of gets under your skin or anything that irks you about what's going on out there in, in the fly fishing scene? Um, I don't know if anything irks me i guess not in terms of the fly fishing but i mean in, i don't know fishing i don't you know fishing in general you know i've been on lakes where you know it's a catch and release lake and these there's 10 plus pound fish in this lake and there's not many in here and you see guy in there dragging gear do worms and they're bonking these big things you know people even garbage out these lakes i mean that for me that really drives me nuts. Um, but I mean, in terms of fly fishing itself, I don't think there's, I don't think you can, nothing to change. I, I love everything about it. Yeah. I don't know. I can't complain. <laughs> well, I think it brings, brings you a lot of satisfaction, a lot of joy and, uh, no, that's oh, good yeah. stuff, man. So talk to me about this season, Mike, like, what do you got coming down the pipe? I mean, as far as, uh, you know, we're still kind of dealing with the, uh, you know, COVID and whatnot, and it's it's hard to travel a lot. But um, let's face yeah. it, getting outdoors is not a lot of safer places in the in the in the great you know great wide open outdoors. Um, what do you got coming up for trips? Anything planned? Yeah, I know we got my my two week trip. I like to take in um, just after Maylong. There, me and Sarah, we like to go out the. Uh, the Cron Fest, we like to call it. So it's just 16, 17 days of just full-blown Cron fishing, just pounding it um, in the caribou. And we kind of, last few years, we've actually scooted down to the Kootenays too for a week. Yeah. Um, and, oh, man, we've got some just oof, big fish. There, There's some quality lakes down that neck of the woods too. Yeah. Um, you talking East Kootenay or West I, Kootenay? Um... I guess you could say West Kootenays and stuff. Okay. Where you're sitting on the lake and you can see, you know, snow-capped mountains in the background. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. give away too much. But yeah, we've we've pulled some, you know, some doubles out of that area. I spent a lot of time out in the Cranbrook area, and I know there's, well, you don't have to go too, there's so many good rivers out there, too. It's like, yeah, it's. Oh, uh, man. It's overwhelming. But that's. Uh, it really is. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, uh yeah, man. Is there anything we haven't covered that we should get to? I mean, um, anything on your mind that, uh, you know, we haven't talked about tonight? Well, I don't know. We've gone through quite a bit, I think. Yeah. I think it's in the works that, you know, Brent and the boys, they they want to try to sneak a part two in this spring, too. So that's another thing to, cool. you know, to think about and, you know, get jazzed about. I'm hoping that we can work something out. Yeah, because no. now 
you know, I'm just thinking, shit, doing that, you know, fishing chronomids. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be wild. Yeah, it's one thing to do it in the fall. Maybe you need to do a, a spring version of that. And uh, it's, uh... Yeah, and I was thinking that too. I was like, okay, so if we could repeat the same lakes if we did that this time around in the spring. Some of these lakes, the caribou, they're getting, they're getting pretty busy now. Like, there's a lot of people, you know. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of guys from down on the lower mainland talking to them. Oh, where are you from? Oh, from Powell River. Yeah. Oh, very like they're coming to the caribou now hey because even Kamloops is getting busy so they're coming up north and i mean it's hard to beat the caribou right it's yeah. you can't my opinion man well i'll tell you 25 years ago um if i ran into somebody in a lake in the area i'm at um they were always local and then you know in the, now it's like yeah i'm from surrey i'm from poco whatever it's i mean it's not a long drive right i mean not really it really isn't no, and that's uh, I mean, th- that's the same. I for- mean, I guess not local too. Like I'm, you know, two and a half hours from the Caribou, so I like to call it local for myself though, because that's where I always spend my time. Right. My second. Yeah. No, I get that, <laughs> and I'm like that with the yeah. Kamloops area. I'm exactly that. You know, a couple hours away, and there's a yeah, exactly. lot of lakes to cover, man. Oh, I you know what, and I've yet to. I we did go down one year to the Kamloops area. Um. And uh, me and my buddy, Sarah, and my buddy's girlfriend, and um, yeah, right in the thick of summer, we thought, okay, we're seeing all these big fish come out of Kamloops. And we're like, okay, we got to try it out. And it was a damn near thick of summer. You know, there wasn't much going on, but okay, it was busy down there, tell you that. Well, if you're ever But down, other than that, I haven't spent much time. Yeah. If you're ever down uh, further south, Kelowna, Penticton area, give me a shout. And we'll, uh, we'll chase some fins, man. I'd love to do that, Mark. That'd be sweet, man. Mike, thanks for doing this tonight. I, I appreciate it. Love what you're up to. And uh, let's check in from time to time. And uh, if you guys get out into uh, something in the spring here, let me know and we'll 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 have another chat. I think that'd be awesome, Mark. appreciate you having me on here, man. This is good. This is fun. My pleasure. We've been chatting tonight with Mike Green out of Prince George, British Columbia, Canada, Stillwater Specialist with Scientific Anglers. Um, thanks for tuning in this time around. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.